Welcome to the Codcast. My name is Bruce Mole of Commonwealth Magazine, and our guest today is Jonathan Gulliver, one of the state's top transportation officials. As the state's highway administrator, Mr. Gulliver oversees the engineering, operations, and construction of all state highways, bridges, and tunnels for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Gulliver. Bruce, thank you for having me. Let's start with something we're starting to see more and more of on our state's roads, and that's traffic. It seems to be getting worse than it was during the pandemic, and some say it might be getting back to levels pre-pandemic, and there was a poll out this week suggested people think it's going to get worse than it was pre-pandemic. What are you seeing? So we are seeing that traffic has definitely increased. Uh, it started really steadily increasing in the late winter, early spring. And this is something it's worth noting for, for everyone is that we track very, very closely. Early on in the pandemic, we, we really understood that one of the things that was important for uh, decision makers was to understand how are people reacting to executive orders. And so we, we worked really hard. Our team put together this mobility dashboard. Easiest way to find it, just fire up your search engine of choice and look for the uh, mass DOT mobility dashboard and you'll you'll find your way there and what we do is we we pull in data from a number of different sources both uh, some of our permanent counting stations uh, a lot of uh, data aggregators so such as inrix or lighthouse data, actual data companies and other sources and we pull them all together and we do an analysis on these every few weeks so it's something that's been extremely useful for us so we've been monitoring the situation closely and we really saw a, a, a pretty quick rise in traffic volumes, again, early spring this year, and it's been steadily increasing. And this past week, in fact, we saw numbers that were pretty much 2019 levels. They, uh, they are right back to where they were. And now last week was a holiday week, so it, it, keep that in mind. But still, we're seeing that they're coming back very, very quickly. And uh, there's some roads, in fact, they, they exceeded on time to time at this point. Yeah, I was driving through Boston uh, this week several times, and it felt like, uh, you know, four miles an hour, uh, here we go again on the expressway. Um, and I don't know if perhaps there was an accident somewhere along the road, but I was coming south in, you know, I was coming north into town from the south, and going south, it was it was incredibly congested and um, and it just it I and I, I can't tell you how many times I hear people say this oh my god we're, we're, we're already back there and then and then you'll hit a stretch where it's not so bad during some of the day and yeah so let me ask you about that there's these different perceptions it's it's back but it's not quite the same right that's right it's different in the in, in you know you mentioned a couple of the roadways that bounced back quickest so the the Southeast Expressway, was one of the roadways that that immediately really bounced back, and and it's they a lot of people were a lot of, you had a lot of friends on the roads no matter what time of day you were traveling on the Southeast Expressway. Now on the other hand, the Turnpike was one of the roads that is is still not quite back up to 2019 volumes, and it depends on uh, which segment you're on, but it can it can be as much as 25 30 percent below 2019 levels. Now. The thing that is common across the board and not necessarily as, as uh, evident on some of the busier roads like Southeast Expressway, but still most roadways are seeing traffic volumes behaving differently. So what was 
previously your, your traditional peaks, your early morning and afternoon peaks that really spilled over late, late at night or late into the morning are much shorter than they used to be. And we see that even though the volumes are similar to what they were in 2019, they're spread out much more throughout the day. And that's, that's not a bad thing for people who do have to travel at those times. We think that's really a lot of what's going on is that with these more flexible work habits that many people have picked up and that many companies are allowing their employees to do, that people, even though they may be going into the office for a day, they're not necessarily tra traveling at 8 a.m. and leaving at 5. They're coming in at 10, they're leaving at 2. And so their time of travel is, is different and therefore they have a better trip and so does everybody else. So what I... When I was looking at your dashboard, it has a measurement of vehicle miles traveled. And I think that measurement as of our, our, our talking now was, was below uh, you know, pre-COVID levels. Um, so when you say we're back, uh, do you mean on select roadways or do you mean overall on-, on uh... so, so that's a great question. And, and so a lot of what we measure is a combination of not only our own highway travel, but also local local roadways as well. And this is where we have definitely seen some variation. And it's been, for, for people who really watch traffic, it's been interesting to watch. And that uh, initially vehicle miles travel jumped up significantly um, really last summer, but it was all localized. There was, still was not a lot of highway traffic. It was people traveling, uh, close to their homes. They were doing these short trips midday. So you can imagine if you're, you're a typical office worker and you go into your downtown office, you park your car, you're there for the day. But if you're that same worker now working remotely, you come, you're at your house, you park your car in your driveway, but you may have to run out for lunch. You may need to run an errand midday. So those short local trips contributed a lot to some of those VMTs. And what we're seeing now is that uh, those are converting to longer trips than what they used to be. So people are traveling a little bit more than they were, but it's still not as uh, with the same frequency. So if you're, if again, I think a lot of this is, is this remote, remote work phenomenon. You may be working in your office a couple of days a week, but you're, 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 you're still, you're not doing the five day commute that you used to have. So your total travel is much lower than it was. And again, it's one of those things. It's still, it's still a, something that our, our traffic analysts are really trying to wrap their heads around and, and understand exactly what's going on. And this is happening all over the country that there that there's a lot of things that we're going to go through. I think over the next year, it's going to be a real learning experience to see where things settle into. And you've been watching this for quite some time. So what what's your gut feeling about where we're headed? I As I said, there was a poll this week that just pulled uh, people, uh, voters in greater Boston. And they seem to think it's going to return to pre-COVID levels of congestion or worse. Uh, that was their general consensus by a pretty overwhelming margin. What, what's your sense? So I, I hope that doesn't occur. Let me just say that. I, you know, we, we, we had a congestion issue, obviously, before the pandemic, well before the pandemic. And one of the things that MassDOT was really trying to get a lot of businesses to buy into is this whole remote work thing. It's worked phenomenally. You know, I think it's, it's exceeded everybody's expectations. That said, I think right now there's this pent up demand that people want to get back into the office. They're going to, they want to see some of their, their coworkers in person again. You know, they, they want to build that team environment. 
I suspect, and, and uh, I, I wish I had a data point to push this on, but just looking at looking at the way businesses are currently reacting, and I read the same stories as you do about what the future of work is going to be for everybody. I think there's probably going to be an adjustment. I think that initially you're probably you're going to see a lot of people try out different things with remote work, bring people in for one day a week, two day a week, once every other month. You know, there, there, I think there's going to be a lot of learning experience that are going to happen over the next year before we really settle into a pattern. I do think that there's going to be a demand from a lot of employees to their employers to be more flexible so that they don't have to be stuck in this congestion. Nobody likes congestion. And uh, as anybody who has been stuck in it will tell you, they would rather be anywhere else. They're not doing it by choice. They're doing it because their job demands them to be in a certain place at a certain time. And that's the time that they have to travel. So I think though, that given the state of the economy, which, which is looking like it's going to be red hot in the next year, thankfully, um, there's gonna be a lot more empowerment among employees to demand that these changes happen. So. I think we're in for a little bit of a ride. I think this next next few months are going to be really interesting to see what happens, but I do think there's going to be some sort of adjustment that happens around Christmas time. And, and this would be very unusual, so I doubt that state officials are thinking about it, but as, as you said, it, it's the, the peak is shorter uh, of duration, and uh, I guess it's still morning and afternoon, but it's a much shorter duration, so traffic is spread out. Do you envision, like, at some point... Uh, let's say as we, after we get through the summer, maybe, and a lot of worker workplaces are going to sort of return, I think, after the summer's over, probably. A lot of them are waiting a while. Like putting out guidance, like, hey, come in at 10 today, or try and come in at noon, or, or try, try and spread it out even, you know, encourage people to do that? I, I, I think that's something worth looking at. You know, I, I know... Uh... My, my gym, for example, will show you pretty clearly every week, here's the peak times. This is when we're busiest. That's not a bad thing to maybe not tell businesses, hey, this is when you should do, you should bring it in, but at least give them the information so they can really see clearly that certain days of the week, certain times of the day are much busier than others. And you know what? They might want to be flexible with their employees and allow them to travel some at, at some off-peak hours. So, you know what? We have the... Again, the nice thing about this mobility dashboard I mentioned earlier is we now have that data to be able to publish and let people see that. So I, I think that's an idea worth pursuing. And, you know, just um, just talking about how the, the dramatic shift, I remember when COVID first hit, there were very few cars on the road and you were mostly worried about, oh, people out there going, hey, there's nobody on the road and they step on the gas pedal and go much faster and fatalities started to increase at, a, yeah. at an alarming rate given the, the amount of traffic on the road. Now that seems to have eased as, as time went by, but what a, what a difference a year or so makes. Yeah, and that, that is still a trend that is of great concern to us. You know, we still see that there is a lot more speed on the roadways than we would like. Um, certainly any fatality is one too many. And, and so we continue to message that people really need to slow down. And you know, I, I, anybody who's been on the road over this past several months and, and really last several weeks, I am certain they saw somebody who is driving dangerously way too fast. And uh, that, that again, that remains a huge, huge concern for us. We, we are really hopeful that people are gonna to start to slow down. And 
you shouldn't need congestion to make that choice. You know, I know with, with congestion, it, it forces you to slow down, but you need, you should really be thinking about your friends, your family, other people on the roadway as a reason to drive safely, not, not the fact that you have an open road in front of you. So I want to ask you shifting gears a little bit. I noticed, um, I see you make presentations to the MassDOT board uh, at, at their monthly meetings and and then occasional press releases and special you know sp special things. Uh, but last week uh, you held a presentation for the uh, I-90 Alston task force and sort of again this is an outsider speaking sort of took uh, ownership of that of that project. Mm -hmm. Now, previously, to my knowledge, Mike O'Dowd had been the, the person in sort of specific in charge, but the secretary, uh, Secretary Pollack was, you know, was soup to nuts. You know, if, if yep. it was not that, she was the one talking. So it, are you taking over that responsibility? Are you the, the, the guy now on that project? Well, I will say that I'm the, I'm, I'm trying to get more in front and be a front facing person. You know, I think the, uh, for starters, Secretary Pollack just did a tremendous job on that on that project, and I will tell you right now, she is unmatched in her ability to dig into details on multiple issues. So it was always amazing to me that she had the bandwidth to do everything that she did and be so engaged in projects like Alston and many others. Um, that that said, I think we're at a junction in that project where we are. Need, need to start making some critical decisions. And uh, although, although Michael Dowd is still the project manager and still very active in that project, I, I feel that it's been necessary to, to, to really for me to get more engaged as well, especially with the task force. You know, I think we're, we're at a point where we have uh, a number of design issues that we are really looking for help on. You know, there, these are some of these are challenging and, and the task force meeting that I went to several months ago the word was pretty clear from, from those members. They've been engaged in this for a long time. They, they want to be a cooperative force with us. They wanna work with us to help solve some of these problems. So if you saw the last task force meeting, we laid out a couple of, of big issues that, that we would really like them to put their heads together and crowdsource some solutions on. And uh, you know th those two issues, just to touch on quickly, is that we have a... Um, a couple of challenges with the current all at grade design. The, the first one is that uh, there's an issue with the floodplain that has been something that Federal Highway brought to our attention and uh, maybe some, some policy differences on that we're gonna try to work through. We're hoping that, the, that it's not going to be a major issue, but it's, uh, it's something we wanted to let them know that we're all working on and we're hoping for help on. And the bigger issue perhaps is that the all at grade as it's currently designed in order to fit everything in. If you've ever been down to the so-called throat area of Alston, there's uh, in order to fit all of the infrastructure in the train infrastructure, the roadway infrastructure, and then the Paul Dudley white path, uh, you're, you're into the water. You go just over the edge. We're about four, just, just shy of four feet into the edge of the water with the edge of pavement on soldiers field road. That is where the old bank of the, of the, Charles River is versus the, the curb line of Soldier's Field Road. It's just over that edge. So uh, we, we recognize that from a uh, policy standpoint to pull that in by four feet makes a lot of sense. And uh, the challenge there is, is that we, we need to 
figure out where we get that four feet from. And, and we have some, some very difficult parameters. You know, there's some, uh, we, we feel that on the turnpike side, we're at, at the limits that we can possibly, possibly shift. We can't get much smaller there. I know DCR also feels strongly about their, their lane configuration on, um, on Soldiers Field Road. And then the MBTA and, and Keolis feels the same about the, uh, the commuter rail line. So there's, there's some space to get and possibly by tweaking things around the edges a little bit on each one of those. And uh, I think the challenge is to try to figure out where, where the best place is to find that space. But that's, that's what we're really looking at right now. I was trying to explain this idea of four feet uh, with all this infrastructure and uh, people I was trying to explain to were just shaking their head. Four feet, that's what the, that's what the, that's what you're fighting for. Um, yeah, it is sort of amazing. <laughs> it is, it's, it's just such an incredibly tight area. I know, and it, it seems like a space that you can stretch your arms out to is just so small that we should be able to figure it out, but it really is, we're down to that level. Uh, that, that every inch counts out there, that there's just so, so little space to give right now. So uh, again, we're, we, we think we have uh, some opportunities, especially if we bring all the parties together. And um, again, we, there's a lot of really smart, dedicated people on this task force that uh, you know, all have a lot of really good ideas and we're, we're really interested to hear from them. And if they, if we, I'll take a great idea from anybody. And if they have one that, that allows us to get, get to a point where the all grade is a viable option to consider, that's, that's where we wanna be. So I just wanted you to clarify for me as a listener to that conversation, uh, it, was a, it was a change of tone that I detected with you presenting to them. And it said to me that you were really interested in this at grade approach you just needed to make it work. And so please, you were saying, please work with me to find this four feet to make it work. Uh, I just, is that an accurate characterization that you, that's what you'd like? There are other options out there, but that's what you're aiming for. For certain, yeah. I think, I think that's a pretty good observation. And it's, you know, there's two other options that are currently on the table, basically. There's, uh, there was a a hybrid option, which I think uh, everybody who's been involved in this project recognizes that there's some significant issues to it. And I, and I don't think that's that by any means would be something that anyone would consider a front running option. But the other two viable options that uh, that are in out there or, or what other viable option I should say that's out there besides all the grade is the uh, a, a modified viaduct, which would still have a viaduct, but would would push it much to the back of the, uh, of the Alston Yards. Now, the, we've, never been, uh, we've never been out there saying that we have one preferred alternative of the other. The, the secretary is going to make that choice. I'm, I'm, we're, I think we all hope soon uh, we'll, we'll have enough to be able to do that. But really, I think the important thing is we need to present him with options that we know are, are feasible and that are not going to have significant challenges to them so that we have a great chance of getting through the permit process because there's still big project like this, just like numerous other projects that have come before, there's a lot of tripping points. So I think we have, uh, again, I think we have some good opportunities here. Uh, we're not, we don't have a strong preference one way or the other, but I, I will say that um, from an infrastructure standpoint, there's certainly a lot of benefits to not having a future viaduct there. That said, 
there's also, uh, again, the reality that we need to be able to put something forward that we know we can be, we're going to be able to build. And uh, I, I know you've been following this, this project closely, and there's a lot of competing interests on this, I think, to say the least. And lastly, I just want to ask you about timing on this. Uh, it seemed like by the end of the year, you hope to sort of reach some sort of conclusion about this. And maybe get a preferred alternative at that point. And I just wanna know, is that the case? And also is that timetable, uh, does that work with, there's all this talk about federal infrastructure money and there's no money for this yeah. project right now. Is that gonna mesh with that well? I think it does. You know, one of the things that we did do um, in, in, in really eyeing the fact that there's federal money that may be, may be coming available is, we wanted to continue the project forward. You, you, you may have seen that we, we are progressing what we call the, uh, the phase one maintenance of the project. So any large project, anyone we've done before, whether it was the Longfellow Bridge or the Central Library, anytime you do a major project, one of the first things that we always tell our contractors that they must do in the contract is get in there, maintain the existing structure, step one, to ensure that it has a safe, useful life until you're going to be taken out of service as part of the bigger project. So we have an opportunity here that we decided to take where we moved that phase forward to now. Uh, that does a number of different things for us that, that are all beneficial. One, it, it, it ensures the safety of, of the existing structure um, until we get to the point where we have it fully permitted and, and uh, financed but it also provides a, a real signal to federal regulators that may be watching this that, hey, we're serious about this. This is, a, this, this is phase one of that larger project. We wanna make sure that, we, that they know we wanna build something here and that we're, we're dedicated to getting this done. And that's always been, that's always an important thing to be showing to some of these decision, decision makers in Washington when they have money to hand out. So, I think those two things together are really, really important. It, it's a strong signal. Um, like any project, sure, there's still challenges to be had, but I, I will tell you that the one thing that we have historically been very good at is if, if money becomes available and we have to hustle to get something out the door and to get this shovel ready, so to speak, uh, I'm confident that we can do it very quickly if there's some sort of timelines associated, especially again with moving this phase up, it means the contractor is gonna get, be able to get right into the larger project right, right when they start. They're not gonna have to spend any time at all in this maintenance phase. Oh, I see. The contractor that's eventually selected wouldn't have to bother with this. They could just move right, right to the project. I see. Yeah, and that's, that's about two years worth of construction. So that's a, that's a significant amount of work that, we've, that we have now basically relieved them of that they can get going on other things and just focus on those other things. They'll have that all out of the way. Very good. Mr. Gulliver, thank you very much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. All right. Thank you, Bruce, for the conversation. This is great. <laughs>